Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino with another exciting episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And since I started Value Prop uh, close to 20 years ago and working with dozens and dozens of small business owners, uh, one of the things that keeps on coming up, and it always comes up, is you know why uh, answering the question, why should anyone buy X from you at Y price? You know What are those things that really answer the questions your buyer is interested in? So today's guest, Zach Basner, who works with Impact Plus, that's Marcus Sheridan uh, company, uh, is going to join us. We're going to dig into this and we're going to really look at the five big questions you and your company through your website, through your digital, everything you do have to be answering so that prospective customers can learn about you in a way that creates trust towards you and predisposes them to want to at least learn about what you have to do or what you have to offer them. So this is an important episode. Listen closely as Zach Basner joins us right now. Well, welcome, Zach, to Business Growth on Purpose. Thank you for having me, Jose. Excited to be here. Oh, yeah. No, we are very much so. Uh, now, now, Zach, just for our audience, uh, if you could give us a little context about what you do and who you do it for. Yeah. So my name is Zach Basner. I'm a digital sales and marketing coach for a, a digital sales and marketing coaching and training company called Impact. Uh, we're based out of Connecticut, but we're a fully remote company spread out all over the, the world now at this point. And we help companies take their digital sales and marketing in-house. In other words, not ever being dependent on a marketing agency for their you know normal uh, marketing tasks they need to do. Well, that, that, I think that's particularly interesting because obviously uh, there's so much literature, especially aimed at the small and mid market about outsource everything, you know, the, yeah. whether it's E-Myth, EOS, whatever, and, you know, not bad advice, but it's basically outsource those things that are not your core competence. And that's been around since In Search of Excellence, you know, 40 years ago, right? So so here you are a little bit counter counter narrative to that saying like, well, wait a second, you probably want to bring these functions in house. And I jibe with that for a reason I'll get into in a moment, but let me just ask you, you know, how somebody says, well, gee, I, you know, I don't, I don't have anybody who really knows how to do this. You know, we're not marketers, we're engineers or we're manufacturing folks or whatever. How do you, I'm, I'm just curious how you, how you help them bridge that gap? Well, it comes down to getting the right team in place for sure. Like you mentioned. So if you don't have the resources in house right now and you wanted to do this, you're going to need them. Um, and the fact is you have to figure out is insourcing a good option for you because for some things and for some companies, it's actually not a great option, but many of the companies we uh, work with, they want to be in control of their, their destiny, right? Not dependent on an outsourced company for their success. And especially when you get into many of the, uh, of the things we're going to give them direction on the types of things they need to talk about on their website, the types of uh, content that they need to produce the videos and the things that they need to produce well, if you're going to do those properly and they're actually going to lead to more trust, then you shouldn't outsource it to somebody who doesn't 
fully understand you? Does it fully understand your customer? No one's ever going to understand your customer as well as you do. So you're actually, in many cases, well positioned to do this in-house. What we do is we help our our clients hire um, at least an in-house content writer and an in-house video producer. That's the start of their their in-house team. Um, we've got a great, great track record with that. And so, you know, so, so long as they're getting the right training, they can come in, even having no industry expertise, they can come in and they can learn how to think like the customer thinks and teach in such a way that actually leads to more sales. And that's what we found is the key to success with this. Well, well, you hit on something that's a little bit of a hobby horse for me, which is what does your customer think? Right. So I'm always asking clients yep. that. And they tell me, no, no, you don't understand. We do this. You know, it's like we do seven levels of longitudinal studies, blah, 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 blah. And it just goes on and on. Yep. You know, why it's so great and wonderful. I said, well, what do your customers think about it? So it seems like you really try to inculcate that on their teams. Yeah. And there's actually a, a, a similar question that I ask audiences that I speak with and also new clients, uh, maybe in a workshop setting. I'll ask them a similar question, which is, so how has your customer changed in the way that they prefer to to buy, shop, make decisions? And for sometimes, for some some of these folks, Jose, it's like the first time they've ever been asked that question before. So like you're saying, they're so like inundated in the business. They don't stop to think about how has our customer changed in the way they think, shop, make, buying decisions. And But if you ask the question, they have great answers. And what's interesting is you can ask a, a wide variety of different types of organizations the same question, and they're actually going to give very similar answers. They're very attuned to the way that their customers change because guess what? They've changed as customers. We, we, sure. We're less patient than we used to be. We, are, we do more research online than we used to do before. We're less trusting of salespeople. We get more quotes, right? These are the types of things that have changed and so you ask that initial question, you get the answers, and then you go, and so how have you changed with those changes? And then it's crickets. Oh, yeah, because they haven't thought it through as a process yet. Right. And, you know, what's interesting about that question, I think it's a, it's a brilliant question. I, I've asked a version of that to get there, which is, which is how have you changed as a buyer to, to get to that thought, yeah, just to good. open up their brains a little bit around yeah. that thought. But, but here's what they what, what I hear earlier in the discovery phase of I'm working with a client is they'll complain about how customers have changed without realizing it's an opportunity. If I could understand it, I could actually align better with it, which is what I'm sure you, your training is all about, getting them to align with reality, right? So because the, rea- you know, the reality is, uh, especially for a company that's been owned by the same ownership team for a period of time. You know, Larry, who used to be the relationship I used to have at Dow or a Caterpillar or whatever the big company was, Larry retired, right? Been replaced by a Gen Zer who really doesn't want to talk to anybody, doesn't even want to pick up the phone. It's yeah. just reality, right? Yeah. So to your to the point then, and let me turn this into a question for you, Zach. So given those kinds of changes in reality, the the, the personal has become a lot less personal, at least is what I'm hearing, what I've observed. How then does a sales and marketing team that you're equipping, you're training, you're helping them hire them, how do they have to be different than, you know, 20 years ago, you'd have people, you'd hire people who were good with people, 
and who had relationships, had a Rolodex. And for certain people listening to this, well, the Rolodex, what's that? Uh, but, <laughs> but I think you know what a Rolodex is. So, I mean, how, what are the some of the key changes in thinking or behavior that they have to embrace to be able to map to these new realities? Great question, because this is there's one fundamental change that we need to recognize as organizations. And this is the amount of the buying decision that's made before we actually know that a prospect exists. Mm. So Forrester Research Group, they, they do these great studies uh, from time to time. And, and they found that in both B2B and B2C applications that on average, 70 to 80% of the buying decision is made before what's known as the zero moment of truth. So that's the moment in which somebody picks up the phone and calls you, or they walk into your store, they fill out that form on your website. That's zero moment of truth has occurred. On average, 70 to 80% of the buying decision was made before then. Now, if you were to go back, let's say 20 years, if you were to guess, Jose, what do you think that number would have been back then? 20 years? Oh, I was selling 20 years ago. So I know it was probably, you know, it was early stage because they depended on the salesperson to provide the basic education. And if you were the exactly brochure, right, you were the bringer of the brochure. Yeah. Yeah. So much less of the buying decision could be made before talking to the salesperson because right. they had the information. Right. Right. Search engines weren't sophisticated enough. Even if they were, the information wasn't there for us to find. Mm -hmm. And so we had to be dependent on a salesperson or, or an organization to teach us things about the buying process. Nowadays, we can find all of this information long before we ever have to raise our hand mm -hmm. to sales. And so if, if you say, okay, they're doing a lot more research. So what are they, what are they researching? What are they trying to figure out? And how can we actually leverage? that activity. If they're using this, this tool called the internet and search engines and content to, to inform themselves, how can we be the ones that they're actually learning from? Because if we're not the ones that are teaching them, when what ends up happening is now that we're working with this prospect, they could have misinformation. They could have some kind of like false, you know, positives in terms of what they think they need. And uh, we've in, in some sense lost our footing based on the things that they've learned from somebody else. Well, we don't, we never, we don't have an opportunity then to frame the conversation. That's right. That's right. And somebody else's. <laughs> and this is key. If you want to be the one that earns the trust, you want to be the one that's doing the teaching. You want to be the one that's doing the guiding, not so you can manipulate, but mm -hmm. so they would want to work with you. Even if you were more expensive, even if you didn't check all the boxes, they'd still want to work with you because they trust you because you're the one that helped them to not make mistakes. You help them think about the things that they, that they needed direction on. So what we found is if you want to do this, if, if you say trust is fundamental to my business and I need to find a way to earn it early on, even before people talk with us, mm -hmm. we found that there's five types of content that you need to be talking about online on your website that induce the most trust. But it's a bit of a paradox because these five that we call the big five, they are what we as customers and buyers think about, love, obsess over, 
but they're also five things that most organizations don't like to talk about, especially okay. openly and honestly on the website. Okay. All right. So it's a bit of a paradox here. So not, you're not going to leave us hanging now. You're going to tell us the big five, what they I'm are. I'm absolutely going to share with you the big five because <laughs> I want everybody to know that they need to go do this. Okay. The big five are as follows. The first one, cost and price. Okay. You and I, Jose, we want to have a very good sense as to, to cost and price. We don't always need a, a, a literal number, but we want to know about it. Yet most companies, they don't like talking openly and honestly about cost right. and price on their website. And we know this. Uh, the second of the big five is problems. What are problems? Perceived problems with this product, this service, problems with this industry. I want to be familiar with these things, but most companies, they don't like to talk, like to talk, talk about their stuff like it has no problems. There's nothing right. wrong with it's, it. It's negative. It's, yeah. it's, it's Oh yeah, like it's a it. negative thing. It's going to talk them out of it. When in right. reality, the more we talk about it, the more we talk them into it. Okay. Third is versus and comparisons. Everywhere, anywhere on earth, people want to compare things. Mm -hmm. We want to know how things stack up to one another. Yet again, we don't tend to do this very well, especially online. Fourth of the big five is best in class or best of. Guarantee you, for, for many of you who are listening or watching this, you've done a search in the last 30 days, which is what is the best X mm -hmm. for me? Not that we always buy the best, but we want to know what it is. Right. We don't like to talk about that sometimes as organizations, especially if we're not the best in a given category. And finally, the last of the big five is reviews. We love reviews. We look for them everywhere. Yet most companies, they don't actually review their own stuff. They leave it to the marketplace to do all of the reviewing. When in reality, we're well positioned as a subject matter expert within our industry or, or our product or our service, that we can actually do reviews so long as they're unbiased and actually feel like that customer actually feels like they're getting honest, reliable information. Right. Now, these big five, these aren't going anywhere. These are the five things that we, we know, we love, we obsess over as customers. And there's still so much opportunity in almost every industry I've ever uh, consulted in to be teaching and talking about these things much, much more. Wow. Well, do you mind? I, mean, I just want to go on one that particularly lit up my, you know, my dashboard, so to speak, which yeah. is number four, best in class, best of, right? So, yes. so in a lot of categories, if you're a smaller, more entrepreneurial company, right, you're not a multinational or whatever, it's a little hard to take that position typically, right? Because yeah. usually that's the world of like in my world, coaching, consulting like yours, you know, you're thinking Boston Consulting Group or McKinsey or Accenture, you know, that, you know, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm fairly smart, but I know Accenture has like 40 people like me just in their New York office. So, you know, in theory, right? So, yes. so, so my point is, how do you, how do you, yet it has to be dealt with. People want to know what the best is, right? Yeah. So how does a smaller player play in that, that answer stream without disadvantaging themselves? Yeah, really good. Now, when it comes to taking a stance in the marketplace, like who's the best, what is the best, you have to do this carefully because you're not, you're not doing it as it's your opinion. You're doing it as here's the criteria that we're using. And mm -hmm. here are the, the player. We know the players in this, in, in this game. And so we can list those for you based on your own, what you need to know. In other words, if I'm selling furniture, I can talk about what's the best furniture for a small apartment. What's the best furniture for, uh, you know, uh, outdoor furniture. I can talk about those things and I can talk about all sorts of brands, all sorts of products, but I don't have to take a stance and saying, 
you know, out of the thousands of uh, pieces of furniture that we've reviewed, we found that ours is the best. That's not really what the customer is looking for in this case. Anyhow, they're trying to figure out what's best for them. And you're just giving them access to that, that logic in a way that's easy to understand. Um, that's why sometimes it's easiest to give that like B2C example of, Hey, you're, you're shopping for a, you know, vacuum cleaner. Let's say you're shopping for a robot vacuum. Right. Um, well, all of them could be best in different categories, but ultimately right. you want to figure out, so what's best for me because I have a dog and I've got kids spilling Cheerios everywhere. And I, I want this thing to be able to go under my furniture and I, right. You have criteria. You're trying to figure out what's best for you. It's my job. If I'm selling these to tell you what's the best in, in, in the different categories, how they perform. No, that's, that's brilliant. I, I love that because you, I think anybody then can speak to, it's really giving good, trustworthy counsel. You're saying, look, if you're looking for uh, just an example, sales training, you, you would say, well, are you training a very large sales team? Or is it just two people? Are they very experienced? Not then you might want to look for a firm that does it this way, that highly customizes versus somebody doesn't do any customization because it's standard for a large team, for example. So yes. Those are things I could see. You can always find a way to give good information that doesn't necessarily put you in a bad light, but helps the buyer buy. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's it too, because there's so many benefits in terms of search traffic. If you can cover things like this, right? You can get a lot of new people on your website, reading the stuff, but the, one of the biggest benefits is actually using it in the sales process. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read the, the book, Jolt Selling. Jose, have you heard of it? I have, I'm not, no. No, it's I have from not. the authors of the challenger sale. Okay. And I've read and, the challenger and, sale. <laughs> yeah. So great book, right? So right. this is a newer one and they dove into this, um, this problem that persists in sales, which is dealing with indecision. So you could get a prospect uncomfortable with the status quo. Mm -hmm. You could really drum up a lot of fear, uncertainty, doubt about that. They could say, yeah, I'm not happy with the situation I'm in right now. And I want to change it yet. You still deal with indecision. So why does that happen? And they narrow it down in the book to a few different things. Lack of information is one of them. Valuation problems uh, is another. And uh, I can't think of what the third one is off the top of my head, but those two, right? So for dealing with valuation problems and lack of information, by me giving you things like, here are the best, here's what might be best for you. I'm helping you get a better sense that mm -hmm. you've looked through the proper information. You've valued all of the different options. So it's helping deal with, with your own uh, inertia, let's say, right? If you just, uh, I'm still not sure if I'm ready to make a decision. It's helping me as a salesperson deal with the problem that persists for me, which is no decision. Getting us well, more comfortable with spending the money. Right. So, so I often talk about that and I, I think about it, you know, using a football metaphor, right? So uh, you, you get stuck at the 10 yard line. Sometimes you get stuck at the one yard line. And you're sure you've knocked it all, you knocked on all the necessary, you got the stakeholders aligned, you, you know, you've, you've answered all their questions, you filled out all the formulas, you gave them the spreadsheets. And for whatever reason, it went from a sure thing to it's a month later and the deal still isn't signed. What happened? Mm. I believe if I'm hearing you correctly, Zach, it's probably one of these five areas that they're still a little bit like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. There's some insecurity right? Uh, I, I often tell people like the doubtful buyer cannot buy because they're doubtful. They're, some, they're, they're afraid of losing their jobs if they make the wrong decision, or if yes. it's personal, if they're like a privately held firm, losing money, 
that is, you know, it's always personal in that case. Yeah. You wow. love that book, by the way. They really dive into that too. Errors of omission versus er- errors of commission. We're, we're more afraid of making the wrong decision than making no decision. It's really, 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 really big for us in sales. We got to understand. But, but getting back to the big five too and how it helps deal with this. If you're able to get at some point in that conversation with your prospect, you're dealing with a decision, you're able to say, okay, so we've, we've, you've looked through the information about cost and price. So you have a good sense as to what you should pay. You're familiar with the problems that could arise with it or other options. You've compared it to, to other options as well. You're familiar with what's the best for you. And, and you've looked through the reviews. So what else is it? Right. And if you, if you've done those five things properly, there mm-hmm. shouldn't really be much else that, that you're going to do, right? That's, this might be a person who just can't make a decision, but look, we're dealing with the five things that we know so many people need in order to, to, to make that decision. So are, in your experience, Zach, and I know you've worked with companies in a wide variety of industries, right? Over yes. a, a very nice long career, uh, already, um, do you think if those five areas are fully addressed and addressed with integrity, that these principles would apply regardless of industry? Regardless of industry. That's the amazing thing about these five topics is that it doesn't matter if it's B2B, B2C, product, service, big, small, it doesn't matter. What matters is the customer. We're obsessing over the way that they think. And these five things are, are, are the things that they're thinking about. Now, what we found is that this also applies not just to sales, but also to uh, recruiting and hiring. So if you want to go out, you want to find great people to fill your organization, guess what? Five still apply rather than cost and price, salary and pay. Are we talking openly? And, and that's like about the that? biggest, nobody wants to ever put that out there. Oh, it's, I, it's, I know there's laws being passed like in New York state and so on to make it yes. put out there. But, yes. but using this as, if I look at this from the point of view of a strategic uh, perspective, yes. I shouldn't need a law to tell me to do that. I should want to do that. Well, think of all the inherent benefits of doing it. You're automatically attracting more candidates because they can actually get a good sense as to the compensation, what might take it up, what might take it down. But just like we can't expect customers to always have a solid idea of value, mm-hmm. right? you have to teach that. It's the same thing when we're looking at hiring people. We can't assume that the job market automatically understands value as it relates to salary and pay. And so I'm, that's not to say you need to pay more actually in, in circumstances where you actually might start people off at a lower salary is by saying, based on the experience and whatever, these are the things that would be here, but here's the trajectory to get here. And, and again, it's just ta- it's, it's addressing the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. We all want to know these things. Want to have a good sense. Why not just be transparent, open about it, and that's what earns the trust. That's no, that's I, I'm 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 with you on that. And there's so much more we could get into this, Zach. But I appreciate uh, these insights. It's very very powerful. And uh, now I know recently you you guys have launched a new web a new podcast, I yes. believe, right? So it's but we're different, right? Yeah. So that caught my you know when we talked on the pre the pre call before we got on uh, on re, uh, the recording for this podcast. Uh, you were telling me about it. So I'd like to just, if you could just describe a little bit about the thought behind it, because I think it's really interesting. And I think very important for people listening to this episode to really lean in and say, I wonder if this applies to me. Yes. Yeah. Everything we've talked about today is based on the principles of, of our book. They ask you answer. And when we go out, we talk with folks about 
the things that we've already discussed here today, Jose, what they need to be talking about on their website and, and these changes that they need to make to the, perhaps their sales process or the way they're talking about themselves. They're going to think to themselves or say to themselves, yeah, Zach, but we're different. That change might apply to somebody else. Those other guys. Those other guys, <laughs> yeah, but, but not us. We, we are different. Now, when you get to the heart of that, what, what we're actually saying without just coming out and saying it is, well, we're special mm-hmm. and you are special, right? We're all unique in our own different ways, but not different in one very important way. And that is we're all in the business of trust. Mm. When you break it down as to why somebody would or would not do business with you, it comes back to this fundamental emotion of trust. And because we hear this though, but, but we're different because we hear it so often we thought, you know what, we're just going to own it and we're going to call the podcast, but we're different. And we're going to start helping companies address this flaw in the mindset of communication online. Wow. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. You're right. Everybody's special. It's like every kid is special, you know, and and so on. Right. Uh, But, you know, there are some fundamentals there. Right. And, and their challenges. And and I would say probably, and I, I, I have to imagine whenever you hear that, you know, immediately that's their blind spot. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> that's probably where you want to put more attention is the thing they call that is don't worry about it, Zach. We got that covered. Well, I don't know. Let's check that out. Right. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, Zach Bazer, this has been a really interesting conversation. It, the time has flown. Uh, but, uh, you know, as we, as we come to a wrap for this session, uh, anyone listening, I'm sure people listening would want to know more about you, your work, how to contact you. Where should they go? Yeah. Check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, I post two or three videos a week talking about some of the stuff we've talked about today. Uh, and of course, if you want to learn anything more about our coaching company, you can go to impactplus.com. Impactplus.com. Fantastic. Zach Basner, thank you so much for being on our show today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jose. It's great. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.